Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome back. It is Thursday, November the 3rd, 2022, 7 a.m. East. Well, it's not Eastern Standard Time, but nevertheless, it's 7 a.m. Um, here at uh, the Manse at Old Providence. What a blessing it is to be with you this morning. Soon enough, though, that time is going to change. So here's your official reminder from me yesterday. I um, changed the time on the furnace at the church, got the heat adjusted. I always feel like I'm working on a bomb with that furnace downstairs, though. But anyway, um, everything should be set there and ready. And this is when we fall back. So we actually gain an hour. So I, and I got to tell you, all I'm, I'm getting older, or I'm getting old, one or the other, I'm still bouncing back from the six hour time difference. I think I finally got it licked, right? I noticed a couple of days ago, I was hitting a brick wall at like nine o'clock at night because my body was thinking it was three o'clock in the morning. I'm over that now, I'm good. Last night was probably the first night that I really recognized that I'm no longer dealing with that. And now the time is gonna change again, but in my favor. So if anything, I'll just wake up earlier. But Nevertheless, it's good to be with y'all this morning. It's good to be with you because we're out of John chapter 12. We're into John chapter 13. And remember what I said about the roller coaster taking off, right? That's really, really what we are getting to at this point. Um, it's a shift that takes place here. We go from Jesus and the public eye. You got the triumphal entry. Um, Jesus being anointed at Bethany. Definitely in chapter 11, Lazarus being raised from the dead. All of this very much in the public eye, but now we know it's the time of the Passover. Jesus is in Jerusalem. Jesus knows that his time has come to lay down his life. He's been talking about it. You know, he's given all of these different hints. We saw it last week um, when he talks about being lifted up from the earth. I will draw him into myself. He said, and this is John 12, 33. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die all of this very public, right? I've been interacting with the public, but now things shift to the private, the more intimate with him and his disciples. And what we see from Jesus, y'all, think about everything that we've been observing up to this point. From Jesus, you see this constant flux of dealing with people, of dealing with his disciples, the derision, the hatred. They want to kill him. They try to kill him. They can't kill him. But it, it just keeps going and going and going. And Jesus is proclaiming the kingdom of God. He's telling them to believe, to have faith, all of these things. Up to this point, my goodness, what affliction he faced. What affliction. This is the God of the universe we're talking about here. And yet he faced jeers. He faced these Pharisees and leaders trying to catch him in a trap as if they were smarter than him, as if they could. And so here we see Jesus's, the extent of Jesus' love. And we'll see how in chapter 13, but, you know, as we go through life, when we face derision, when we face difficulties, when we got to deal with people, most often the way we respond is we become bitter. We become hard. We don't know who is a detractor and who's actually a friend. And so we start treating everybody the same, right? It's not what we see from Jesus. What we see from Jesus is an example for all of us. 
So without further ado, let me pray and then we'll dig in. Father, please be with us now. Help us to see Jesus. As those said in the last chapter, we would see Jesus. So it is with us right now. Help us to see. Help us to try to grasp and appreciate what Jesus did. We can't because we've never faced a sort of temptation, derision, all these different things. None of us have ever faced this. And yet, your son gives us the example to follow here, the true example of love. So let us see him now by your Holy Spirit. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so chapter 13, beginning in verse 1, we have this transition away from the public eye. Now things are getting much more intimate between Jesus and his disciples. And for the next four chapters, that's really going to be the state of things. But <clears throat> chapter 13, verse 1, it says, it was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Time out. Pause. Let there be no misgivings. Let us not for one instant fall into this trap that the world has laid for us that Jesus doesn't know exactly what's happening and exactly what is going to happen. Read between the lines of verse 1. Jesus knows that it's time not only for him to die, Jesus knows that it is time for his greatest temptation. It is time for the greatest suffering it is time for him to bear the sins of all those he loved. It's time for him to drink the cup of his father's wrath. He knows this. He also knows that he's going to defeat death and hell. He also knows that he's going to be raised on the third day. He knows that too. But y'all, the pressure, the agony, <clears throat> the temptation, that all of these things, they are there swirling around Jesus. You ever been in a situation where something is looming for you? Oh, and it might be something big. It might be something that you dread. Maybe it's an interaction with somebody. Maybe it's a task that has to be completed. Maybe it's a surgery that's on the horizon for you. It can be so many things in life that there's it always seems like, and maybe it's not like this for you, for me, it always seems like there's this thing and it's looming out there. And I know that it's coming and I know that I have to face it. I know that I have to make things happen. I know it's got to be done and it's waiting. Y'all, we cannot begin to grasp the nature of that which was waiting for Jesus. You see, with the same precision and perfection that God created the world and all things, with the same mastery with which God sustains all things, God also prepared his wrath to be poured out. We ought to shudder. We, we, this ought to take hold of us. We cannot begin to know that which was facing Jesus. And yet, 
all the things he could do, what does he do? Well, we just read it. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. And what does he do? Verse 2, <clears throat> the evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up after the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Again, pause for just a second. Try to, try to envision this. Try to put yourself there. You can't. I can't. But just try. Think about all the things that the passage just told us that Jesus knows. He knows that the devil has already worked in, in Judas Iscariot to betray him. Jesus also knows that the Father put all things under his feet, that he was going to be returning to God. If you had ultimate control and power over all things, what would you do? You know, the lottery was last night, right? It was, what was it, 1.2 billion, something like that. Did somebody win? I don't know. Y'all might know. I, I haven't even looked at the news this morning before I, I got up and I prepared for this. But nevertheless, um, <clears throat> Imagine having that winning ticket. I think the cash out option was something like $600 million. You got $600 million coming your way. The whole world is before you. Now, even that doesn't compare. $600 million, that's money, right? They print more of it every day. But nevertheless, let's say that the world just opens to you. What are you going to do? Well, the world was Christ's. He had ultimate power. He, what did he do, though? He took on the role of the servant. He took off his outer clothing, which would have been very undignified for a teacher such as he, but he did it. He wrapped a towel around his waist, and he proceeded to wash his disciples' feet, a task that was common at this time common for servants to perform on those visiting a house. After all, people walked a lot of places. I don't have to go over all this stuff with y'all. Y'all know this. Their feet would have been really, really dirty, right? Not to mention the, the ceremonial side of this, the symbolic side of this, of Jesus himself making himself unclean to a certain extent doing this. He didn't care about any of that. He became the servant, having the whole world before him. He became the servant. And we find something interesting. Verse 6, he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. <clears throat> Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath only needs to wash his feet. 
His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. Now, y'all, Jesus shows us what's really going on here, right? We have this act of service, but we have this symbolic act right, of Jesus washing away the filth, washing away the grime. We need to be careful here. This is not a sacrament, okay? Um, it's fascinating to me. It's kind of waned for a while there. It looked like a new sacrament was developing in the church with feet washing and stuff. In fact, you would even see it in weddings and, and things like that. And, I, and I'm not I'm not speaking of that, chiding it or with derision or anything like that. You know, you do you, boo. That's the, <laughs> what I am saying is this is not a sacrament for the modern day church, right? This is not something that we are required to do. It's not an ordinance by God. It's a wonderful symbolic thing to do. It, it, it's very kind. It comes down to the matter of the heart. But the fact is, is that what this was pointing to was the washing away of sins as a result of Jesus' death right? Jesus taking on the sins of all those who would come after him and paying for those sins. Uh, guys, this is not something that Jesus said, do in remembrance of me. It is not a sign of the covenant, okay? If you want to wash somebody's feet to show them you love them, great, have at it. But this is not regulative. It's not normative. It's not something that we are required to do. But realize what Jesus said to Peter, Right, Peter, Jesus comes to Peter to wash his feet. And Peter said, oh, no, Lord. And Jesus said, listen, unless I wash you, you won't be clean, right? Jesus is simply pointing to what his death is going to accomplish. But that's not anything simple, you see. Realize that on the cross, Christ went to the cross as the substitute for all those who would put their trust in him. That means all of the sins of those who would trust in Christ were placed on Christ. And all of the righteousness of Christ was in turn placed on the people who would trust in him. You have that which is filthy being made clean. My friends, you want to know what Christianity is all about? That's what it's all about. It's about the fact that on our own, we are filthy. On our own, we are unclean. On our own, we have no hope of washing ourselves. But in the cross, as a result of Jesus' sacrifice, we are made clean and we are washed in the blood of the Lamb. That's what Jesus is pointing to here. And yet, Jesus makes a very clear point about what's going on. He talks about Peter and the others being clean. He said, you've already had a bath. And no, he's not talking about baptism there. Don't turn this into an allegory. It's not, okay? Don't turn this into some metaphorical thing and get all mystical about it. No, you don't have that right. I don't have that right. Jesus is simply talking about what his death will accomplish. But nevertheless, he flat out says to them, you're, you've already had the bath, a bath. He says to Peter, you've already had the bath, so you just need your feet washed, right? As a side note, if baptism was about washing away our sins, then Judas would have been covered because he was baptized too. Very clearly, the scripture never teaches baptismal regeneration, that our sins are washed away by baptism. As evidence, we find Judas Iscariot, who Jesus says, not all of you are clean. And of course, he knows what Judas is going to do here. 
Now, verse 12, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and, uh, and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Now, you might say, well, Patrick, you just said that we weren't required to do this. This isn't regular. Y'all, what Jesus is talking about here is serving one another. Mark would reflect, I believe it's Mark chapter 10, that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. This is the calling to place one another before ourselves, to lay down our lives for one another. This is the calling for us to sacrifice ourselves and follow Christ, to lay down our lives for one another. That's why Jesus said in verse 15, I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Them. Plural. Guys, this is not, again, this is not feet washing instituted as a sacrament. When Jesus said this, he's talking about so much more than the symbolic act of washing feet. Don't limit what God's word says. Don't limit what Jesus says. When he refers to serving one another and these tasks to them, plural, Jesus is pointing to the reality of all that he had done. And his message is, go and do likewise. His message to them is, you have seen me and how I have served, how I have loved. Now you go and serve and love. And my friends, there's a calling for us here. And again, if you want to wash somebody's feet, that, that's great, okay? I'm not, I'm not saying that, that you shouldn't do that. But the calling for us is about so much more than a symbolic act. The calling for you and me is to evaluate ourselves, to pay attention to how we interact with others, to pay attention to how we love our fellow believers. We're in John 13 now. When we get to John 17, it's going to be right before Jesus is arrested. And of all the things that he could pray, he prayed that we'd be brought together in complete unity and love for one another. This is the calling of Christ. This is the life for us as Christians. So take the time today to evaluate how you love one another. Take the time to evaluate if you are doing what Jesus said. Do you lay yourself down? Do you sacrifice your wants and needs for others? Understanding that this is what the Lord has done for you. Now, where we pick up tomorrow is going to be in verse 18 as Jesus talks more about his betrayal. But for today, the calling is very clear from this passage. We were bought at a price. The Lord redeemed us, and so therefore we should live in light of that. And if you don't know Jesus, realize that this cleansing can be yours, that he can wash away your guilt he can take away your sins, both your past sins, your present sins, 
and your future sins, but it will only be through trusting in him. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the example that you have given to us through your son. What a beautiful thing that Jesus, though having power over all things, became a servant. Oh, Father, that we would see the call to do likewise. Work in our hearts, and if there are any listening to this that do not know you, help them to see that they will only be washed clean through Jesus Christ. And I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. <laughs> you know, if anybody ever wants to talk about any of this, if you have any questions, if you know that you don't know the Lord and you want to talk to somebody, call me. Um, write me on here. You can message the church's Facebook page. I will get it. I would love to talk to you about that. Now, I'd like to thank all of you for being a part of this time. Lord willing, we will be back Sunday morning at 10 a.m. Not going to be here tomorrow. It's Friday. We'll be back Sunday morning at 10 a.m. And then, Lord willing, Monday morning at 7 a.m. I see we've got Alice. Good morning. And there's Monica. And then there's Wayne. And I see Christine and Elizabeth and Becky and the other Becky. Thank you all so much. Again, Lord willing, we will see you all soon. Until then, enjoy this first weekend in November.